You are listening to an early pandemic recording. The equipment is rudimentary and the outside noise provides character. I like to think of this episode as pandemic thick, where lemonade was made from lemons. In the Pocket, a talk show that showcases Mainers, who are people of color. Each episode represents a member of the Maine community from art, culture, and business, the earth, wind, and fire of life. Embracing and exploring the Black diaspora and descendants of American slavery through conversation is the foundational concept of In the Pocket. The overall mission of In the Pocket is to create conversational space for all people of color that is documented and celebrated through sharing of life experiences. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In the Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. You are listening to In The Pocket, the Quarantine Thick series. And your host is Flo Edwards. And our guest is Athena Lynch. She does amazing art installations. And she's a Mecca student graduate, as well as a former intern for Indigo Arts Alliance. Please enjoy the conversation. You have a really like good comfortableness with um 3d imaging though like actual like we do a lot of sculpture or that bronze face that you did what actually is that um i'm trying to think which one you saw was it sort of black and bronze maybe that actually is not bronze okay yeah it's faux faux bronze yeah 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 Yeah. that's um that was actually a cast um that i did of someone's face with um gauze strips and then that's actually poured um plaster and then I, yeah, I did like a faux bronze finish. So most of the work I looked at online was definitely while you were a student. Right. right. Do you have anything that is similar before Mecca or um, is Mecca where you found your voice? I was always a tactile artist as far as like um, working three-dimensionally. Um, I would have to say as far as like expanding on like the work that you see of mine now yeah I really more so expanded into that once I got to Mecca because I was able to take advantage of a lot of tools that I didn't have access to prior to that but like before that I did a lot of like painting I went through a painting phase for a couple years (laughs) so yeah I was in a painting phase I sew I do a lot of different things but like a lot of them a lot of the things that I do were very tactile because like that's just the type of learner that I am so anything that consists of me manipulating something or playing around with materials and like a juxtaposition of materials versus what the subject matter is like yeah I love that nice um is that a any political edge in the juxtaposition are you always having a saying or a message um, well so for example I found myself like once I got to Mecca a lot of the work that I was doing became, I guess, political, but, you know, uh, my professor says all art is political, so, you know, living is political, so as far as, like, the work that I did while I was in school is definitely, and it's continued in that trajectory because I feel as though it's necessary to tell stories that haven't been told or have been forgotten, which is typically of the diaspora, whether that's, like, from the, a lot of them are, like, past stories like for example oh, I'm sorry <laughs> for example um I did a piece um 
called Sarah, which was based off of uh, Sarah Bartman, the hot and taut Venus. And then I did an installation I called uh, Ancestral Assembly, which was, um, those were the masks. Those were the faces that you saw. Those were a part of that ser- that piece. So the face that had the lock in it is out. Oh, that's the piece that you're talking about. Oh, well, no, no, that was... You did a lot. You've done a lot of faces. Yeah, so, so the, the faux bronze faces that you saw, that was for Ancestral Assembly. And so that was kind of me recreating a conversation amongst the ancestors, if you will. Whether those be related ancestors or, you know, just predecessors in general. And then um, the piece that you're referring to with the lock, that was actually a personal story that I was just kind of something I was grappling, grappling with rather, Um, you know, an assault that I experienced as a child. And that piece was me exploring my way of finally freeing myself up from that and like not letting myself be tortured by holding on to it and so yeah and you see that too because the lock has a key in it right so i thought that was like a very like complete arc yeah in your storytelling there because you don't often see that usually it's just a statement and it's up to you to fill in the blanks but that was really like period right yeah nice um i've noticed now that you are doing a lot of chalk drawing or quotes yeah and that's been going on for weeks now yeah that's actually so not a funny story but so i got an email no actually i got a text i got a text from daniel from indigo arts um about two three weeks ago and um He's like, hey, we're doing something next Sunday that reminded me of the piece that you did in Congress Square Park. And so I was like, okay, cool. So he sent me the email and I kind of like skimmed through. I'm terrible with long emails. You can blame college for this. Like if it's past a paragraph, I'm like, oh, you've lost my focus. (laughs) And so I was kind of reading it and I was just like, what? And then I went back to it and I read it again. And I'm like, what? And then I read, I went back to it again and I was like, okay, read, focus focus and so it was the um we the people chalk we yeah we the people chalk uh chalk the walk from boston we the people boston they um they're like familiar with that okay yeah yeah so they had this um chalk walk which was like on a sunday and so that's what he was asking me if i was interested in doing and so uh christina beckstein from love lab in portland she actually uh, uh supplied like all the chalk to like all the locations and to people so that they could do the chalking and so we got some chalk and we were just out in front of Kennedy Park and like we were just chalking and I was trying to figure out like what did I want to say because I'm like I haven't like sat and drawn a picture in like so long so I'm just like I'm not drawing a picture like what do I do so I just it's like oh I'll just write quotes and so that's what I started doing. So I was just like looking up different quotes and I had like found like all these different quotes. And like one of the main quotes I use is a quote that I um, I use in my artist statement. It's the, um, the artist duty quote by Nina Simone. And so like I wrote that and I started and I just kind of went from there. And a lot of people were like just like walking through and I was like writing this quote across the street by the uh, mosaic mural over on by Anderson and uh, this woman was walking 
And she's like, oh, what's the rest of the quote? And so like I told her what the rest of the quote was. And she said, oh, who said that? And I said, Malcolm X. And she was like, oh, okay. And so I think she was kind of surprised because I think for the most part, a lot of the general white population tend to think that Malcolm was just all about being militant and just aggressive and like, no, like he wasn't, that's that there's, there's so many different facets to him. And so like the quote that I wrote by him was actually probably considered to be like a, a lot more mild. It'd probably be something that you would think Martin would say. And so I think that kind of surprised her. And so I feel like that brief interaction between us kind of took something with her that maybe she'll think about a little bit longer you know whatever that may be and however that may process for her but I think just in that moment she she paused and actually kind of like reflected on what she was reading and like who said it you know and so that's why I've just continued doing this because I feel like a lot of the all of the words that I've been writing and it's not just me you know it's been a group of us that have been out there doing it some people I know some people like a lot of people I don't know because I post it on Instagram, so people share it. And then, like, they come, like, hi, I have no idea who you are, but hi, thanks for coming, <laughs> you know? So um, I've just been writing quotes because those words still, you know, come from a time of searching and trying to fight and get through and build resilience and sustain resilience, and we're still in that place, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years later. You know, those words are still very much so important and relevant. Relevant. Yeah. Definitely irrelevant. I mean, my mother talked about how her grandmother was a slave. Like, right. That's not many generations ago. Yeah, I, I know. Like, I know. Yeah. So I love that you are bringing together, as you say, the history, the activism, and the action. And you sharing that quote with that woman... It shows how we're constantly put in these boxes. Exactly. Like we don't have dementia. Actually, it's a flat box. We like it's. It's a yes. It's a. It's, it's like, like one of those those United States Postal Service flat pack. Yeah. If it fits, it ships boxes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not even a box. It's a, it's it's a, it's an envelope. Right. <laughs> right. So I mean, how beautiful was that that you were able to just give dimension to somebody who has? I mean, clearly has a lot of dimension. At least clearly to people who look like him um, right right exactly yeah. yeah so that's awesome um do you how do you plan your quotes do you have like a notebook are you like how do you get these things so like i kind of built off of like the quotes that i already knew and then like i just literally just start like googling like quotes from like black activists and and then that just kind of like took off from there and then like if i found like um like depending on the page i went to I'd come across it and like, oh, I didn't think about that person. So then I'd Google that person, quotes by that person. And then it kicked me over to another page. I forget what the website was, but um, I was like Googling. Uh, it was a, uh, had like all these different people, like authors and activists and actors and musicians and just like a, a whole gamut of different people. And like I was coming across other people. I'm like, oh, I completely forgot about this. Like, yes, okay. So then I click on that name. When you click on that name and like on the side, there's like a whole host of other names of people. And I'm just like, ah, oh. so I click on that and it just keeps. And so like, uh, yeah, so that's how I came across a lot of the, uh, the Marcus Garvey quotes, Audre Lorde, Angela Davis, 
uh, Malcolm, a lot of Malcolm, <laughs> a lot of Malcolm. Um, I came across a couple of Haile Selassie quotes. Um, I came across, I actually came across, uh, I don't want to mess up her name. I think her name's pronounced Yuri. Oh my God. Kochiha, Kochiyama. Kochiyama. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe she was the Japanese American woman who was actually there when Malcolm was assassinated. In fact, she was actually the person that was actually holding him when he died. But like, you know, Spike Lee may switched out, but yeah, but that was her. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think that was her. So I have a quote by her and um, yeah. And so it's like, it's not just, it's not just black people that have been saying these things, you know, there's other people and a lot of them are people of color. I have a couple quotes in there by the Kennedys. I have a, a JFK quote in there have an RFK quote in there you know those are probably the two only white people as far as quotes you know but I agree with the quotes I don't necessarily agree with the people you know because he said it was possible in within 40 years <laughs> I'm like okay John <laughs> okay okay <laughs> but yeah you know I like I said like all of these quotes are still very relevant and they all speak about humanity and wanting humanity and deserving humanity and yeah I feel like that's something that so often for so many years is constantly been stripped away from us as a people humanity yeah it's like we're always treated like we're not people and it's like and that goes back to when you have a slave exactly you can't think of them being like you otherwise you wouldn't feel comfortable doing the things that you're doing doing. exactly exactly so it's like you have to strip that humanity away so that you feel good about yourself doing these horrible things yeah um a lot of that kind of brings me to you have a tree that has some nooses on it. Ah, it yes, strange, strange fruit. fruit yes. Right? <laughs> Are those? Uh, did you reuse those nooses when for like a bronze or? I did. So yeah. I had to dismantle the tree, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I do plan on rebuilding it. Um, so I had to take apart the tree because we had to like um, move out of the studio and they were doing like uh, construction and stuff. But um, I repurposed. I took some of the uh, nooses and like yeah, I cast them in aluminum. And unfortunately, one of them broke when I tried to do something this past semester, but I still had it. (laughs) But um, yeah, I was kind of like on this noose kick for a while. And I was just like, I don't know. It was just, it's a very, it's a very controversial object. And it conjures very specific feelings and thoughts and imagery when you see it. You know, it's like you can't. It, it, it references the body without seeing the body. And I did Strange Fruit in response to Botham Jean, like when I first heard about what happened to him. Can you say his name again? Botham Jean, he was the, um, the young man that was killed in his apartment in Houston. With the cop who mistakenly went in the wrong apartment. Oh my goodness, yes, I did hear about that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I just didn't remember the name. Yeah. His name too was many Bo- to keep track of, unfortunately. It's, it's unfortunate yeah. that there are so many, yeah. But, like, I I did that tree for him, and there was, like, uh, I can't remember what his name is. There was another guy. 
I think he was in... He was in California. He was the one who was in his grandmother's backyard with the cell phone. And I can't remember what his name was, but him. And it was just like, why is it that every time, and even now, every time it's a black or brown body, the first thing that comes up is their past, who they were as a person, as if that gives credence to why they're dead now it goes back to let's strip them of their humanity exactly you know and but they're being a little more savvy with it now now it's you know it's the media it's like oh well he had marijuana in his apartment or he had a couple of tickets or he was arrested for this back in like 1995 or this happened and and it's always things that happened like a long time ago Mm -hmm. and it's frustrating that it's just frustrating and so the nooses were not hanging the bodies but the nooses were hanging their humanity and so like our bodies are no longer hanging from the tree our bodies are no longer the strange fruit it's it's who we were, it's who we are as people, as actual people. That's the strange fruit now. It's really important for us to control our narrative as exactly. much as possible. Um, and I love with the, the nooses, that narrative that you're giving there, that it's the humanity that is being murdered. Right. The aluminum, what was the inspiration for that? Well, so I was in a cast. I was in a um, casting class, and so we were casting things. And I was like, "Hmm, what can I cast?" And they said, "Hmm, I'm gonna cast these nooses." <laughs> and my professor was like, "Oh, so you're gonna cast these? Yeah, <laughs> it's going down." Right. right. <laughs> of course, it was like really interesting. Like the 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 looks I was getting. Like I was like literally on Pinterest learning how to tie a noose because I had never done that before and I was like oh figure, right? yeah I was like I wouldn't know these things I wasn't a girl scout I, I don't know I imagine you learn how to tie no- knots you know like you just certain girl knots class. right yeah like, we're, we're tying nooses so today you know after selling some cookies we're gonna tie some nooses and uh knock out the competition (laughs) (laughs) you know oh that's great let's push those Samoas (laughs) you know by any means necessary (laughs) and so uh, but yeah so I was I I think I was going to do I actually was going to do like a series of them and um I think we ran out of aluminum or something and so I was like alright I just did the two and so, well, no, I did three. Yeah, I did three. I did the large one, and then I did two like medium-sized ones. And I actually um, Tigwell did two of them together. So I was thinking about doing like this really like bizarre chandelier. So I'm like, how crazy would that look? Yeah, I love it. Like I found those breathtaking, and I don't know why, but it just I'm it captivates you because, yes. like I said, it's it's like it's like you can't help but stare at them because like, it's it's disturbing. But it's it's also like, huh? You made it beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, you really <laughs> did. Like I wasn't scared, and I didn't even. Well, yes, of course. I when I see a noose, I'm gonna right. think. 
um, what they're used for. Um, the strange fruit, people hanging from trees, definitely. But yeah, you brought out the beauty. Like you were making the noose have humanity and very, very, very appealing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm glad you still have some. Yes. And thank I'm you. loving to hear the chandelier idea. I, yeah, yeah. I was, I, like I said, I like juxtaposing ideas and like different things, you know, like the subject versus like what the material is. And then like the other thing too, I, I like, like I said, um, like the idea of this solid noose. Like it's strange because, you know, nooses are made of rope, which is, they're fairly soft, but depending on, you know, like what I also learned was like the thicker the gauge of the rope you get, like the stiffer it is. And so I found myself literally in like the hardware store, <laughs> like feeling on rope trying to like this doesn't feel right i need the right this is like it's it crazy and i remember bringing one with me to like home depot and i was like joking with my friend i said well watch me freak out the white people when i pull this out it's <laughs> like excuse me i'm looking for this gauge rope can you help me i didn't get to do it so i was like ah uh, well, next time, if you do get to do that, please record it. There's somebody there, that reaction is priceless. I know. It'll go viral. I, like, like, I know. I was just, it. I was just, like, just waiting, but like, I was like, ah, the, the opportunity didn't present itself. I was just like, darn. No um, more, dark, no dark humor for today. Oh well. Another day. Another, another day. day. I love that you brought up a chandelier because you made a, an amazing table. Like I couldn't figure out how it actually. Oh, my wooden anything. table! Yes, I. So but. I took a woodworking class. Um, again, I like making and manipulating things, and um, it was funny because, like, when I was looking at the school, I was wondering. I was like thinking about like, what do I want to do? Like, what did I want to major in? And like, woodworking like is always something that's fascinated me. Like, I have an aunt who did construction for like 30 plus years and then she also used to antique and so she would do caning like wicker caning and so I was like huh woodworking and furniture making do I want to make furniture not for other people but I would like to make furniture and so like I took the intro woodworking class and like one of the projects is we had to make a table and so I made this little weird table <laughs> that actually fold it um, doesn't fold but um the top comes off and like the legs kind of detach and they fit inside of the table so i was thinking very modular and functional you just slide it under something or put it on a shelf so you won't be making any more furniture maybe chandeliers but oh i would make it for myself i i make things you know i i make things out of necessity yeah <laughs> you know as far as furniture <laughs> but it just you had like such a great eye uh, it just seemed like something that you could so. I, yeah, I like playing around with things. I like, um, I like challenges. That's the other thing too. Even if it frustrates me, because it's like, like never tell me I can't do something. <laughs> like when I first learned uh, how to weld, um, the professor had us making something, and I was trying to do like what's, what what we call like a compound bend. So you have something bending this way, this way, this you know, in multiple directions. And so she was explaining to me that cold flat steel can't do that like you can only achieve that if you're like um blacksmithing like if you're smithing something and like the whole thing is like forged and i'm like you made a mistake christy you told me i couldn't do something so you guess what i'm gonna do i'm gonna try it anyway 
And so I tried it and I did. You tried forging? No, so I um I was welding, so I um I attempted to make I didn't post it, it looks crazy. <laughs> but I attempted to make a nemesis out of steel because we had to make something Is a nemesis a mask? It's the the um pharaoh crown that it's typical like what the, the Sphinx wears. Yeah, okay, it's, yes. it's yeah, it's called the nemesis. And so I made that entire thing out of steel. So I had to figure out how was I going to do this out of steel. So I had all these strips of little like very thin pieces of triangle and I was just like strip by strip I was just like welding them and then like I had I made this piece and so it would bend and I made like that part and it was just like it was a lot and then like there was like one part that just wouldn't I needed it to bend this way and that way at the same time and because again like she was saying like because it's flat pressed steel and it's cold it doesn't bend that way because it doesn't want to do that it's not it hasn't been manipulated chemically for it to do that like if the whole thing is like on fire and hot then yes like if it was like dipped in a forge or something then i would have been able to do that but i'm dealing with like just cold hard flat steel so it's like i'm not doing this and you can't make me and i had that hammer and i had that anvil and i said yes the hell you are (laughs) and it did (laughs) and it popped a couple times and I, i welded it again and you know, like I um, ground down like those really ugly welds and <laughs> made it look pretty. And we did it anyway. <laughs> right on. Would you be interested in forging? Though? Oh, absolutely. Okay. If it weren't for the fact that if it weren't for COVID, we would have been because uh, like um, I was taking a fabrication class this uh, this past semester. And so he he asked us, he said, like, so what do you guys want to do? I was like, blacksmithing. Because ha- there's a forge in the school. It's like blacksmithing like anything else blacksmithing <laughs> anybody else have any suggestions blacksmithing <laughs> besides blacksmithing or blacksmithing <laughs> oh, oh class <laughs> so your semester got cut short yeah okay. and we just continued uh online right. which was like kind of strange because like it's hard to do a class a studio class that is contingent upon being in and physically involved and engaged in what you're doing and what you're making and you can't do that so it's just like oh sucks <laughs> but um well, I mean we made it work like I ended up fabricating something in a manner of speaking I um I actually did some footprints they don't think they left they're still kind of out there if you kind of look if you know where to look uh, that's why the bottom of my sneakers are, are red <laughs> I, um, when I had heard about the, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey incident, I got some paint, some red paint, and I stepped in it, <laughs> and I made tracks, and then, like, I chalk outlined them, and, um, I did some in the park, there's a couple, like, if you look, like, if you know where to look, you'll still, you'll see, like, a couple of them going down the steps at Congress Square Park. There's a couple at like an intersection near Taco Escobar. Um, yeah, they're still kind of around a little bit. Like they're faint, but like if you look close and if you know, like I said, like if you know where to look, you'll see them. Right on. You kind of remind me of Basquiat when he was Simo Simo. Right? It's so funny that you say. That. <laughs> I'm so not a fan of his. I, I, it's so weird. I've never understood his art. 
I get it because he's a because he's like he has a very heavy graffiti background and maybe that's why because like I don't have like the brain for graffiti <laughs> like for me that's very graphic and like I feel like um like different like facets of art it's like you're it's like a different part of the art brain if that makes any sense like the best way I can describe it is like to me like people that are graffiti artists and like graphic design artists like they're like freestylers to me like people that can just like like they just hear like an instrumental and they can just drop verses like that's that's like those are lyricists to me like i'm not a lyricist i gotta think i gotta plan <laughs> i gotta make sort of stuff rhymes <laughs> i'm like wait that doesn't look right and okay yeah. <laughs> but like yeah like i i i was honestly never a fan of his work there are some pieces of his i like I couldn't tell you what they are, but like I, if I see something I like, I just like it. But like, yeah, I was—I always kind of found his work somewhat juvenile. Like it just kind of reminded me of like, like like uh, children's drawings a little bit. But like, not to take away from like who he is, but that's just me. Like, everybody doesn't like everything. Right. I, mean, right. I just I just happen to not be a fan. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, I'm not like a, an art major, so I probably can't break it down, but I definitely would say it's primal, and a lot of his art is interpreting other artists' art. Maybe that's what it is, because like, I, I could see that. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a primal side to it. And he'd be offended if I said primal. He thought that that would, I mean, he'd be offended if a white person said it was primal <laughs> about his art, so... <gasps> I, I can see that. Loosely. I can see that. Yes, or um, I guess the word. I guess another word could be um, primordial, perhaps. Yeah, or, that sounds better, um, doesn't it? Early. What? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like primitive. But I think I think because what it is is yeah. it depends on who's saying it. Because like when yeah. we're saying primitive, we're not we're not meaning it in the context of inferior. Right. Whereas someone else who uses that word, they mean it in the context of it being inferior. And primitive doesn't mean inferior. It just means raw. It just means, you know, unfiltered. It's not, it's, it doesn't, it's not, it hasn't been prettied up. It doesn't, everything doesn't have to be all prettied up and polished and glittery and sparkly for, for the point to get across. Yeah. It kind of, when you say that, it makes me think of Chappelle. I don't know if you saw his eight minutes, 40 I did, and... And that's just raw. Like, I was so watching raw. it at work, actually. I was. I actually watched it the other night at work, and I was just like, yeah, like, you can't listen to what he was saying without getting emotional. And it's like, I've found myself very emotional, like, for the past four or five years now because it just seems like the past five years now there's been just people dying for the past five years like consecutively I that's just right and it makes me wonder I assume that this has always been happening but now with social media and everybody has a camera that's the other thing too our technology has become so much more sophisticated now you know like I think about being a kid and watching the Rodney King video. Yeah. And it's just like, wow. Like, that happened. That happened within my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And then Tamir Rice and Trayvon and, Sandra, and Sandra 
and and so many others are still happening within my lifetime but within my grandmothers it was Emmett Till within my mother's it was Medgar Evers it was Malcolm it was Martin you know what I mean it's like it's just this continuum and it's like I good lord knows can only imagine what the social media would have looked like in the 50s and 60s if it existed yeah I mean they you know they didn't have social media obviously but they would just leave bodies hanging right you know just days right and then like even further back than that they made postcards of these things yeah and yeah yeah. yeah. (laughs) and I think for me it's been hard to engage with social media like I have not seen the video of um, Mr. Floyd I just I just don't want to I don't think I can unsee it once I see it I saw a frame a still frame but I just like I can't like it's real life if it was a movie maybe but um I just yeah and I feel like with it being on our phones it's just like it's always with you yeah Yeah. we're constantly walking by these nuisances um yeah exactly yeah and bringing thinking about your your grandmother you had this piece called Ancestral Assembly. Yeah. And it was mostly what, like dashikis hanging out? So those or? were like, um, it was um, it was the face and then it was a piece of like um, African fabric that I had like draped underneath just to kind of like reference the body. Yeah. I loved it. I felt like it was kind of like being in someone's closet, fancy closet <laughs> and, you know, being in their space. Like it felt very welcoming. It felt like a place I should be sitting in or trying on an outfit. And but. that's the um, that's the the feeling I was trying to invoke with that piece. Like I, I even like um, what you can't see. Like what you can kind of the the way like the lighting looks in there and how like warm and like diffused the lighting looks. Like that was intentional because like I wanted you, I wanted like the audience to feel secure and comfortable and safe and welcomed into that space. And so, like, I, I, um, I draped the ceiling with fabric. And so, like, instead of this gross fluorescent white lighting, it became, like, this very soft kind of, like, you know, um, somewhat yellow kind of, like, uh, lighting. And then um, with the lights on, like, it kind of has, like, a yellow. But, like, with them off, I had, like, these small, like, lights, like, right above each of the uh, the heads and so like I also diffused those as well so it was just this soft light like kind of like shining down on each of the uh, the heads and I don't know if you can see it but there's like an altar like in front of the chairs like between the chairs and so the altar was specifically for like people in my family that I've lost so like my mother my grandmother, my fa- my grandfather, and so like there were things on the altar that represented them. Nice. And, like I fragranced the room. I yeah. didn't get that vibe. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I wish we had that technology of like smellovision or something. Yeah. So like, what you didn't smell was like hints of like money house blessing oil and night queen and. Nag Champa. So it was just like this mixture of like it's, I wanted the space lovely. to feel sacred and special. So um, I guess I didn't notice there was the altar there. So with the altar and then like the closet feel, like what what else to the story 
was I supposed to get out of that? So, <clears throat> or viewer. So the chair. So like the piece was. It was born out of frustration because I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, and. I, again, like I said, I like challenging myself. So that was my first time actually doing something in an entire four wall space. Usually I just work on like a flat surface, like up against a wall. And so I'm like, I need to take myself off of one wall. And so that was my challenge to myself. And like my professor is like, you know, what does it mean if you put this here or if you put this down there? You know, like that changes a whole dynamic. And so I was in that space for a couple of weeks and like just really like playing around with what did I want to say and I was actually at my storage unit I was like I was like shuffling around some stuff in my storage unit and I'm like and I was coming out and I saw these three chairs like these like little shaker chairs and I was like oh those are cute huh 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 so I crammed these chairs in my car and I brought them to school and like they're just crazy and they're kind of gaudy because like there's like several layers of paint on them and then it's chipping away so you can see little pieces of like the life that they were like under each layer and I liked that idea and like the seats were originally like this woven but like one was still whole and like the other two were just completely disaster so like I took those off and I changed the seat on them and so I was just like really in deep contemplation of like what do I want to do what do I want to say and like I'd like to think that I have some sort of connection spiritually to you know like those that have gone before me you know and so and I was like, hmm, what would it be like sitting in this room talking to my mother or talking to my grandfather or talking to my, my grandmother about trying to figure out something? And so that's what those three chairs are. You know, that's them. And so, like, the faces kind of, like, represent not necessarily, again, like I said, like, people that are dead because they're actually everybody's faces that are cast. They're all alive. <laughs> but, um... They're all very alive, <laughs> but um, they represent that ethereal and spiritual side of life that I think sometimes we kind of shut ourselves off from because we're so regimented and distracted by other things that are happening in this realm of life. And so, yeah, like that was really about kind of like getting back in touch with that spiritual side of myself and conversing and so ancestral assembly is literally me coming before the ancestors and just kind of like having a talk you know or anyone who wishes to come in and have a talk you know it's meant to be it was meant to be as a sacred space you know kind of like not just an altar but like because I, I was raised Catholic, so, like, you know, when you think of, like, a confessional or, like, you know, when you, when you're fellowshipping with someone or when you're just, you're, you're talking, whether you're talking to a therapist or a friend, you know, like, all of those things, you know, you're talking to someone, you're, you're trying to, you're relating to someone, you're expressing how you feel, you're telling thoughts, or maybe you're sharing a memory, 
you know, like I, like my mother's deceased, so like I have funny memories about her like all the time, and sometimes like I'll like laugh out loud because like I had like a memory of something that like we did that like made me laugh or something like that. Like I was just talking to my friend earlier about how my mother laughed at my friend and I because we thought we were making rice. We were like 12. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. That rice was not done. It was crunchy, but we ate it anyway. <laughs> She's like, you know, you're eating raw rice. And we're like, no. She's like, why do you think it's crunchy? Like, just thought it was supposed to be like this. <laughs> we're just <laughs> crunchy rice. <laughs> But yeah, like memories like that. So like, yeah, so that's what that's what ancestral assembly was. Just like me reconnecting. It seems that that's a pretty strong theme in a lot of your art. Do you see that continuing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd like to think or at least I try to um, apply the the uh, concept of Sankofa, which is like in order to move forward, you have to acknowledge and look backwards. You know, acknowledge the past in order to move forward. And so, yeah, like I kind of feel like that's how I've grown as a person. That's that's how my work has been going because a lot of the things that have happened in the past are either resurfacing and history's kind of repeating itself, not necessarily just myself, but just in general, you know, like I said, like going back to the quotes, you know, these are things that people said in the 50s and the 60s, and they're still relevant now, you know, so it's the same thing, you know, we're acknowledging the past and understanding, hope in, hope, in hopes of acknowledging the past and understanding and looking at it and examining it, that we can take that information and we can apply it and figure out what we need to do in order to move forward and maybe not make the same mistakes we did before or maybe change something and make something better maybe not excuse me maybe not necessarily for yourself but for someone else or for others for the future right um any projects that you're working on currently so (laughs) there's the juneteenth event that i organized for this friday and that's yeah it's from 3 to 6 p.m yes it's from 3 to 6 p.m at congress square park and i'm still kind of tripping over the fact that i'm actually doing this (laughs) like yeah this is this is yeah this yeah we're doing this yeah this is happening this is happening yep we're doing it (laughs) and do you have any sponsors at all um I don't have any sponsors. I am collaborating. I'm working with uh, the Friends of Congress Square Park because they're, you know, they're they're the people that maintain the space. Uh, I'm also collaborating with Ali from Maine Youth Justice. I'm also collaborating with Hope from Little Chair Printing. And I'm also collaborating with Signature Soul, Marco and Mimi. And so, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a good team. I mean, I'm not familiar with anybody, (laughs) you know. If they're a part of that, that sounds great. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anything else besides the Juneteenth chalk? Ah, uh, there, there may be a a, a mural. Oh, okay. There, yeah, I was approached uh, by Daniel again. <laughs> um, he said, "How do you feel about the idea of doing a mural in Portland?" And I'm like, "Sure." <laughs> That's great. So, so you get back to your painting roots. 
Yeah, I haven't painted in a while. Well, I mean, minus the mask. But, um, yeah, I haven't painted in a while. So, yeah, it's just a matter of thinking about, like, what the subject matter is going to be, like, what I'm going to... So I was actually kind of doing a little research on that today. Nice. Um, where can people get get you, get in touch with you, hire you for your services? I am on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Y-T-U-N-O-C-E, which is And You Don't Know, or Itunose. Thank you for listening to In The Pocket with DJ Flo, and our guest today is Athena. If you like what you've heard and want to hear it again, or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show.